Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. I hate to point him out. Tommy Seals. Where are you, my brother? Tommy. I thought I just saw him. Tommy Seals, right there. I'm talking to you. Where were you go? Where were you about two years ago? You remember? Y'all hear that? On a ventilator in a hospital. That song means something to you? That song means something to you? Amen, right? Yeah, the Lord's alive. That is a fact. Friends, as you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning, I, I want to say a statement that Jesus did not come to bring peace. Jesus did not come to bring peace. And you're probably saying to yourself, wait, what? <laughs> well, how can that be? You're probably saying this because that's not what we've ever been taught. That certainly is not the, the Sunday school lesson that we ever had as children. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. How can I honestly say that Jesus did not come to bring peace? Well, it's all in how you define the word peace, I suppose. And Jesus challenges us this morning in how we view the word peace. And I would say this, it trusts me, it doesn't sound the way that it's supposed to sound. Clearly, Jesus did come. Clearly, Christ died. He, he died to bring reconciliation to us so that we could have peace with one another. But he also, more importantly, came and died so that we could have peace and reconciliation with God himself. Jesus came to bring us peace. And friend, the scripture tells us this over and over and over again. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, Jesus' words, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The Bible also says that the followers of Christ should be people of peace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, again, Jesus' words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Paul even tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to do everything in our power to live at peace. So if we have the peace of Christ resting in us then, and we have a command to be peacemakers, he tells us to be at peace with one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Yet in just a moment, Jesus is going to clearly tell his disciples he did not come to bring peace. And there's confusion about what all of this means. He even states that following him will pitch you against your family members and your friends. It says a mother will be divided against her children, a brother against brother, mother against father. Friend, I will tell you right now, if you're looking for a peaceful existence, Jesus is a hard road to travel. 
Did Jesus come to bring peace? I would say emphatically yes. There's no doubt about it. Jesus also came to push the ideas of faith forward. He came to prod our ideas and thoughts of obedience. And he certainly came to provoke the religious elite, which would be the Pharisees. And you can fill that in this morning if you'd like. Jesus' mission was to push, prod, and provoke. His mission on earth was to push, prod, and provoke. Now this morning I want to give you a bit of background and context of, to, of Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. The Lord knew that his coming into the world would bring division. That's division with a capital D. For there would be those who would believe on him and those who do not believe in him. One has said that Christ is the great divider of men. And this passage that we're about to read bears that out. We read in John 7 verse 43. So there was a great division among the people because of him. And by the way, this was true everywhere that Jesus went. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was always, always a divided audience. A divided crowd. The, the division would even take place in homes where family members would eventually be divided because of him. So this morning, that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 9. Again, starting in verse 49, the words of Christ. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would it that it would already be kindled? I also have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until is it accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So this morning, as we read through this really short little text about Jesus talking about division and dividing families and bringing a fire and having a baptism, what exactly is he talking about? Well, you can fill in your blanks this morning. What message was Jesus, uh, what, what was Jesus' message, excuse me, in, in Roman numeral one, Jesus came to bring fire. Jesus came to bring fire. In verse 49, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would it that were already kindled. So what exactly does Jesus mean when he says that he's going to come and bring fire to the earth? Well, scholars are actually a bit divided on this issue. Some scholars believe that the fire that Jesus speaks of is God's judgment on the earth. After all, when you read the book of Revelation, you certainly see that played out, that God is going to bring a fire of judgment and wrathfulness to this world. And yet, if you look at the audience to which Jesus was speaking to, he's clearly speaking to the remainder of his followers. He's speaking to the disciples there that were with him. So certainly he's not necessarily talking about judgment of them. He's not talking about their condemnation. So exactly what kind of fire is Jesus talking about? Well, I believe that what Jesus is talking about here is the fire of persecution. 
fire of persecution. That persecution is going to wage war against believers. That it's going to follow those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. It will follow us everywhere that we go. That it is not going to be uncommon for us to face the fire of persecution. Persecution, by the way, at least in the early church, was responsible for the gospel spreading all across the Roman Empire. If it weren't for persecution, I would dare say that we might not even be Christians ourselves today. If it weren't for persecution spreading in the early church and then pushing the word of Christ westward, who knows where we would be this morning. But, that, but God allowed persecution to take place so that the church would grow and spread Persecution eventually would expose the followers of Christ who were simply there for the miracles and the meal tickets and the followers that were truly desiring to be obedient to Christ. Persecution, at least in the church, it sweeps away all of the the pretenses. It is the separation, at least, of the wheat from the chaff, the goats from the sheep. And that's why Jesus says that he wished it were already here. I wish that this fire of persecution were already upon us. That way we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt who the real followers of Christ are. Jesus wanted to reveal his true followers and the only way to reveal the truthfulness of our motivations and hearts is to be burned by fire and the fire of persecution. And some might believe that Persecution is, at least for us, nothing really to be worried about these days. Persecution was something that happened in the ancient world, in Roman gladiatorial times where Christians were fed to lions in the Colosseum. And certainly persecution is not something that we've got to deal with on a normal everyday encounter. Oh, friends, let me tell you, persecution is alive and well And while we still enjoy the freedom here in the United States to assemble and the freedom of religion here, countries all over the world are waging war against Christianity. They are murdering Christians in the thousands. I read a story about a woman in India who watched her sister being dragged off by Hindu nationalists and she doesn't even know if her sister is alive or dead. They did this simply because... Her sister was a believer. I read another story about a man in North Korea who is in a prison camp and he's shaken awake after being beaten unconsciousness and he was receiving beatings every day all because he was a pastor of a North Korean church. There was a woman in Nigeria who ran from her life and she had escaped Boko Haram who had kidnapped her. She was pregnant and then when she returns home, her, her community rejected her and her baby all because she was a Christian. There was a group of children laughing and talking as they came down to their church's sanctuary after eating together and instantly all of these children were blown to smithereens because of a bomb blast. It was Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. Many of us heard that story. Friends, this morning I would say that even though these folks don't live in the same region or even on the same continent with us, but they share one really important characteristic. They're all believers in Christ and they suffer for their faith. 
And while Christian persecution takes many forms, it's defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. Christians all over the world are attacked. They are discriminated against at work and at school. They risk all types of violence and torture and arrest and so much more. Friends, persecution is all over the world. I found some statistics in just the last year. Over 245 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution just in 2019, 4,300 Christians have been murdered. And that's just what we can count. There have been 1,850 churches that have been attacked. Some 3,100 believers detained without trial and arrested and sentenced or, or imprisoned. And all of these numbers are heartbreaking. But for those of us that live here in the United States, do we really believe that persecution could find its way to our shores? Do we really believe that the kind of persecution, the fire of persecution that Jesus wants to bring to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, could those things arrive here on our doorsteps? And the answer is yes. Not just yes, but I think in many ways, persecution of the Christian church here in the United States has already begun. In recent years, we've seen governmental attacks on Christian businesses and business owners. We've seen attacks on believers and their rights to stand for their personal religious beliefs. We've seen our government turn its back on the Christian heritage that founded our nation and so much more. We've seen attacks on biblical marriage. We've seen attacks on a biblical family. We've seen attacks on the right of an unborn child to live and to grow. Friends, I believe that it's not going to take much more in our current political structure to change. And we will have the war and the fire of persecution right on our doorsteps and here on the local churches. I don't think that it will take much to, to bring that home for us. Now, I'm, by the way, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. Never claimed to be a prophet. I, I don't have the spiritual gift of prophecy, by the way. Uh, that's not my spiritual gift. But I will say this. I can read the times. Can you read the times? Can you see what's going on? Are you able to open up a newspaper and see the war on Christ that's being waged every single day? I believe that American Christians will eventually face real persecution. And in that time, there will be a great separation of believers and non-believers in Western churches. Jesus is going to purify his bride through the fire of persecution. Are you ready for it? Am I ready for that? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 14, the apostle Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad with his glory re being revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when fiery trials of various kinds land in your backyards. Friends, it's coming. The second point 
what was Jesus' message? Jesus came to bring a fire. And then point two, Jesus came to bring a baptism. He came bringing with him a baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do me a favor, if you will. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 69, verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screens if you want to save some time. Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. Listen to the psalmist's words. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where my where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Before the Lord continues on in verses 51 and 53, he speaks of a impending death on the cross. He refers to his death at Calvary as a baptism. Because on the cross, he was going to be immersed in the wrath of God. In Psalm 69, you have what is ultimately a a prophecy about the future death of Christ. And there are several times in this chapter, you see words like deep waters and floods of God's judgment overflowing and overwhelming him. And of course, we know that person is going to eventually be Jesus because Jesus loved humanity and because Jesus was so obedient to his father, he came to earth to accomplish a redemption story for the lost and the guilty sinners. That is me and you folks. That's all of us that are in this room. He longed for that mission to be accomplished. If you take the word baptism Back to its original Greek, it's the word baptismo. It means to immerse, to dunk, to submerge. Baptism, by the way, was a fairly common word in the ancient language. We've often spiritualized and scripturalized the word baptism, as we should. But baptism didn't mean so much spiritual stuff back in those days. It, it meant something really different. Baptism uh, was a word in ancient times to describe sinking ships. As the ship would begin to sink under the water, the water would fill in the hull of the ship and it would carry the ship on down, being baptized. It was also used in textile industries. When they would dye a piece of cloth or fabric, they would submerge that cloth into the dye and then create a new color on that blank canvas. When Jesus talked about his baptism, he's talking about his impending death on the cross. This means that God's wrath would not just be on him. That's what we've often looked at. We've often thought of the wrath of God being placed upon Jesus, like it, it, it rested upon his shoulders as he hung there on the cross. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what it is. It's not that all of the sin and all of the wrath of, of God is laid upon me. He's been baptized into it. This means that it's not just on him, but it would fill him up like a a ship taking on water and being driven down. It it would be like like a piece of fabric being submerged and totally transformed. Thankfully, our baptism these days means something more. 
Baptism identifies us, obviously, with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, and we know that. However, when we are dipped, immersed, submerged in the presence of God, we have this new spiritual color. That color is the whole fabric of our being. We are new. And that's why I encourage so many to, uh, people to be baptized, to follow the example that Christ set for us, but also to symbolize our obedience to God and our obedience to Christ in, in, as, a, as a means of joining the body of believers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came bringing a baptism. He came bringing a death, his death on the cross filled up with God's wrathfulness. Lastly, I will say this, Jesus' message, he came to bring a fire, he came to bring a baptism, and lastly, he came to bring division. Jesus came to bring division. Jesus says in verse 51, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided against two or three against two and two against three, they'll be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A few years ago, we had a woman who joined our church and she was looking for something more, if you will. She was looking for a greater connection to God. And even though she had grown up in a spiritual setting, she had never really quite grasped what it meant to have a relationship with God. And so she became somewhat disenfranchised with her current situation and she began to seek. And by some miracle, it landed her here. And so she came and they became a part of this church, she came and she brought her children with her and she was coming from a clearly a different denominational context and yet for the first time in her life she felt that she was reading the Bible. She had never really read the Bible, never really read it. She had heard people read it and she had seen it but she had never read it and so she began to actually read it. And she felt like she was hearing God's word preached for the very first time in her life. And she was learning more and more about God. And she embraced Christ and she embraced this church. And she told me, though, she told me, though, that she did not think that her husband would come to church. She, she said, I don't think my husband's ever going to come to church. And this is a normal conversation that we had for many weeks. And I said, you know what? What we're going to do is we're just going to pray we're just going to pray. We'll pray that God somehow intercepts your husband, that he opens the door of his eyes and his ears and his heart, and that maybe you'll just continue to invite him. And over time, God will draw him in. And so we agreed to pray, and God answered that prayer. He started coming, and weeks and months went by. He was in the same situation that she was in. And eventually, he embraced Christ as his Savior. And eventually, he was baptized here 
at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. And not long after that, guess who else was baptized? Their whole family. All of the children were baptized. And it's a great story. It is a beautiful story, actually. It's one of my favorite stories of being a pastor. Anytime that we see uh, uh, an entire family come to Christ and they're all baptized, it is a phenomenal thing. I'll be honest with you, there's some kind of bad days when it comes to being a pastor. It can be kind of a hard job. But I tell you, it's on those kind of days that make all that worth it. When you see an entire family say yes to Jesus and step forward and say yes to church. It's a great story. But there's also another side to this story. When this family chose to follow Christ, there was a cost. There was a cost that many of us never face. Last week, little sweet family McKay, she came forward. She accepted Christ a Wednesday or so ago and joined her with her mom and dad. And they walked down that aisle together and they held hands. And I'm sure that in little Finley's heart, she probably felt supported and loved and nurtured. This is something that they had been praying for. It was a beautiful, sweet moment. And yet, that was not the same situation for this other family. They didn't feel warmly greeted by their extended family. As a matter of fact, when this lady called to tell her parents that she had become a believer in Christ, that she had become a Baptist, that she had uh, led her children to be baptized and her husband to be baptized, her family completely disowned her. They wouldn't speak to her. It's a different situation, right? So Jesus says that I have come to bring division. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Father against son. Son against father. And on through the ranks of those relationships. Sadly, this sort of division happens all the time. In my travels, I've encouraged numerous people that have come from different religions, for instance, Muslims who have left that deceptive religion and embraced Christ. And immediately they face unbelievable persecution from their mothers and their fathers and sisters and brothers. Does Jesus bring peace? The answer is yes. He absolutely brings peace. Yet following Christ can bring a great deal of division and heartache. There are too many pastors in the world that that say, oh, follow Christ, and they never talk about the cost of following Christ. There's always a cost of following Jesus. There's always a cost. So just what does it mean to divide? And Jesus is pretty specific. He says that following him will bring division to the most important relationships in our lives. Best friends will turn on one another. Church, member, church members will betray one another. Family members will disown one another. And there's another sort of division that Jesus is referring to. If you will, flip over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Again, it's all up on the screen if you want to read it off that. It says, and this is the Apostle John speaking, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, 
great and small, standing before the throne. And what happens next? And books were opened. Then another book opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were what? Judged by what was written in those books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were what? Judged. Each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Again, another type of separation. The second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus is talking about another division as well because one day all of this existence is going to come to a cataclysmic ending. All of this that we know, all of time is going to stop. And upon that stoppage, there is going to be a great separation, a great division. So really there's two divisions that happen. One is the division that comes through fiery persecution, and the other is the division that comes through glorious resurrection. And friend, I, 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 hope, I hope that all of us have done what's necessary to be written in the Lamb's book of life by trusting in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. So I know, by the way, today's message is not really a, a super warm and fuzzy message. I really, I really wish I could preach warm and fuzzy messages every week. I really, really do. I, I love warm, fuzzy messages. I just think they're wonderful. But sometimes, you know, you just got to take the Scripture. At least I do. I just take the Scripture for what it says and just, here you go. However, there is some encouragement that I do want to offer you as we leave here today. While the persecution we face may not be happy or enjoyable, it is beneficial. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 tells us, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next, Jesus wants to fill you with his peace and his power and his presence. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand or your pleasures forevermore. And lastly, you need not fear division and judgment. If you have Jesus, by the way, if you have Jesus, you have enough. If you have Jesus, you'll never be alone. You'll never feel abandoned. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 Paul encourages us that it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, heights, or depth, nor anything else in this creation will be able to do what? None of those things will be able to do what from us from God? We won't ever be separated. We won't ever be separated. Friend, if you trust the redeeming power and the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, then he's done enough. If you've embraced that, you'll never be separated from the one relationship that really matters. Even from people within the church. But you'll never be separated from the one relationship that really, ultimately matters. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we come before you thanking you for this wonderful time where we've been able to jump into your word, learn something new, and Lord, I know that you did come to bring peace. Your peace is very different, though, than the way it's normally preached. 
And so, Father, today, if there's someone in here that's looking for peace, looking for security, looking for hope, I pray that you would plant in their hearts right now to come, step forward, embrace Christ as their Savior. It's as simple as just calling out upon the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me. I don't know the right words to say. I don't know the right things to do. But, Lord Jesus, I know that you can step in my heart. I know that you can make me new. If that's you, I pray that you'll come. Lord Jesus, perhaps there is division. Perhaps there's division in our families, division in some of the important relationships that we have. Lord, we ask that you would bring healing and unity and harmony to those. Father, I pray that you will strengthen the church. That, Lord, when the day of persecution happens, that, Lord, we will be able to stand with one another and not separate from one another. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that because of you, we have hope. And Lord, we pray this today in your name. Amen. This morning, friends, I want to invite you to make a decision for Christ, maybe today. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.